Ain't gonna burn ourselves out no more. Ain't gonna burn ourselves out no more. Got each other on our side, plus all the folks at Fried the Burnout Podcast with Kate Donovan. You deserve more than feeling constantly fried to a crisp. Welcome to Fried, the burnout podcast, where you get the understanding, the community, and the information you need to end burnout for good. I'm your host, Kate Donovan, and all of my work focuses on hashtag ending burnout culture. Outside the pod, you'll find me on stages at conferences giving keynotes, in offices providing corporate trainings, doing virtual VIP one-on-one work, or supporting our group program, Unfried, that is run by my right-hand woman, Sarah Vosen. Both Sarah and I have been through burnout and came out stronger, happier, and more fulfilled, and we want that post-burnout growth for you, too. Fried family, we have a big day for me and for you today because I have the absolute honor of speaking with someone that I have been looking up to and reading about and learning from for many years. Today, we get to talk to Dr. James Gordon, who is a Harvard-educated psychiatrist and is internationally recognized for using self-awareness, self-care, and group support to heal population-wide psychological trauma. He is the founder and CEO of the Center for Mind-Body Medicine in Washington, D.C., a clinical professor at Georgetown Medical School, and was chairman under Presidents Clinton and Bush of the White House Commission on Complementary and Alternative Medicine Policy. Today, we are going to dive into Dr. Gordon's latest book, Transforming Trauma, The Path to Hope and Healing, which helps us to understand that trauma will come sooner or later to all of us. It is a human experience and not a pathological anomaly. Dr. Gordon. Yes. I'm so excited. And I told you this before we started, but it really is a massive honor for me to share space with you. I have relied a lot on your work and we speak about this book a lot on the podcast. So I am very excited to have this conversation. Well, thank you. That, um, you know, I, I went into medicine so I could be useful to other people. So this this gladdens my heart. And I'm also, as a writer, it's always wonderful when something I've written touches people and I'm able to get across my experience and what I think and what might be possible for others, what's been possible for me, so that they can use what I've learned. Thank you. So the book that we're going to talk about today is currently titled Transforming Trauma. The Hope and Path Healing, right? But initially it was called The Transformation. This was when I bought it and it still shows up that way in my Kindle. And at the same time, there was a wellness practice opening up in New York City that you were a part of. And so your name was coming at me from the book and from the well, and there was a a, a lot happening. And I was discovering the correlation between trauma and burnout in my own world. One of the things that I felt such a massive relief about in the early pages of the book was when I read that all of us experience trauma 
and that there are a couple of really serious misconceptions about what trauma is. Can you talk a little bit about what those misconceptions are? Sure. Um, misconceptions are basically that trauma is only something that happens to those other people, the civilians in, in war, combatants, or people with the most horrendously horrible childhood abuse, neglect. And that's the first misconception. No, true. Trauma comes sooner or later to all humans. This is an understanding that indigenous people had, but that we have lost. And in a, a country like the United States, where we think everybody's got to have it all together all the time, and it's, uh, it's sort of forbidden, or has been up till fairly recently, to even talk about the kinds of trauma that we're addressing here and that I talk about in uh, Transforming Trauma. And if trauma doesn't come early in life because, in fact, you have been abused or neglected or you have a congenital deformity of some kind uh, or because you live in a community of violence or poverty, it will likely come in young adulthood uh, or midlife when we have terrible disappointments, when relationships break up. 50% uh, of American marriages ended divorce. I have rarely even though occasionally the celebrities say, oh, we're the best of friends, I have I have yet to see more than a couple of divorces that were not traumatic in all the years of working with people. So, or, or, or we're headed on a career path and it turns out not to work. And, or we're living in a place that was all, we've always wanted to live. And it, it turns out to be a disappointment. Those are traumatic events. And so, too, as we grow older, our chronic illnesses, the deaths of people we love. And then in old age, virtually no one is untraumatized. And we deal with the frailty in our bodies. We deal with the loss of loved ones. And we deal with the inevitability of our own death, which is definitely traumatic. So trauma is a part of life, and it's best understood and seen that way as a human experience. The other misconception is that if you have been traumatized, that you're condemned to a life of suffering and replaying the traumatic events. And this is simply not true. Um, we have seen, and once again, indigenous people understood this. We have seen this, um, that we can go through, and I, I begin transforming trauma with stories of people I've worked with and known who've had the most horrendous experiences happen to them. And I do that very deliberately, because these people whom I've known and in many cases worked with uh, have become extraordinary human beings. And they have come through their trauma, often using the tools and techniques that I teach in transforming trauma, uh, sometimes not. And they've come out on the other side and they have been able to make major contributions to the world. And they have become, by their own understanding, as well as others' observations, they've become more thoughtful, kinder, wiser, more committed to serving the humanity and serving the planet than they ever would have been before the trauma. Trauma may break our heart, but it also can open our heart and can open our mind. So that's really important for everyone to understand that you're not condemned. It's not always going to be that way. That you need to go, if an experience comes and it is traumatizing, you do need to go through it. You need to do your best to understand what it was and how it fits into your life, but you also need to understand you are not confined by it. It is not a, a, a perennial ball and chain. It is potentially an opening 
to what psychologists are now calling post-traumatic growth and transforming trauma, my, my book, and, and all the work we do at the Center for Mind-Body Medicine is predicated on that understanding. There are a lot of people in, in my community of listeners, this is a podcast about burnout, right? So a lot of people grew up with some type of trauma, whether they admitted to that or not until later in life, and or have some of these disappointments you were mentioning, like really went for a career that they loved and it didn't turn out to be as exciting as they thought, or moved to a place that they wanted and it fell apart, or relationship fell apart. There's there's lots of things that can be involved. And there's a belief that you share in the book that says that all of us can, and I quote, recover from past trauma and meet future threats and blows with resiliency and even grace. In the Facebook group for the podcast recently, there's a lot of people have said that they're stuck in their trauma, their triggers, they don't know when they meet a stressful situation, their responses are bigger than they need to be and they can't seem to control them. So I don't know that they truly believe that they can recover from past trauma and meet future threats with resiliency and grace. That's the nature of trauma for many, many people is the sense that it's never going to end. I'm never going to get out of it. I'm always going to be so terribly triggered. I'm going to be confined. But as I said, my my experience, my own personal experience, as well as my experience as a psychiatrist and as a teacher working with so many people is is that's not true now but i don't expect people to believe me necessarily i assert that and i hope that will give at least a little ray of hope but when i work with people or when i whether it's within a, a group in person or online or through transforming trauma i give them initially an experience which shows them that change is possible and that they can create that change. So I, I begin after I've sort of hopefully opened the skylight to that ray of hope. I begin teaching a, a simple concentrative meditation, slow, deep, soft belly breathing, breathing in through the nose, out through the mouth with the belly soft and relaxed, which activates the vagus nerve, which is the antidote to the fight or flight and the stress response. So what people experience, as I teach that, and I, as I teach it in, the, in Transforming Trauma or I teach it in person, may take 10 or 12 minutes for the first time. I teach the physiology of it as I do it, and 80 to 90% of people notice a change. So that's a message to them, that it, this is not about belief. Belief's okay, but this is about your personal experience. This is about your own experience that you feel a little calmer or your shoulders are relaxed, or your heart rate is down, or the room looks a little brighter when you open your eyes, or you happen to be finding yourself smiling. That has come about because you have done something for 10 minutes that's made a difference. So what that says is that change is possible and that you can create that change yourself. So that's enormously, and, and, and if one change is possible, the way our mind works, we understand that, well, other changes may be possible. And that's the beginning. Now, for the 15, 10, and, and this 80 to 90% are doing a lot of work in Ukraine. We see that there. There's a war going on. This doesn't change the war outside. Um, 
but people feel a change in themselves and begin to get the message from their own experience that they can make a change. The same is working with burnt-out health professionals, which we've done a great deal of, or uh, or community organizers, or leaders of women's groups, people who are, you know, dealing with situations that are overwhelming. They see that the change is possible. Now, for the ten or fifteen or twenty percent who don't have a uh, don't notice a change the first time. I say, well, see what happens the second or third time. Or, and, uh, let me show you another technique. And so at that point, and I think it's chapter five in Transforming Trauma, I get them up and I get them up shaking their bodies, just shaking the body to fast driving music, no, no words, and then stopping for a moment and observing what's going on and then letting their bodies move to whatever music is inspiring for them. And many times people who are so shut down because trauma not only causes ongoing fight or flight, it can also, if it feels overwhelming, provoke the freeze response. So the body shuts down. Uh, we put out endorphins to protect ourselves. We withdraw emotionally. Shaking and dancing opens up the body and opens us to those emotions that we've suppressed. And so that becomes the the um, the spark. In addition to the ray of hope, there's a spark that's going to bring heat as well as light. And, and that's the one. And I've seen this, I've done a lot of work with um, military who've been traumatized by combat. And that, for them, is often what opens the door. People who've been uh, abused as children, uh, the shaking and dancing starts to uh, return them to the bodies that they've denied. And, I, you know, we see this sometimes, you you know, with burnout in adult life, with people just shut, especially if there's been some sexual abuse uh, or humiliation of any kind mixed with it. And that unfortunately happens all too often in all too many of the settings that that, that we work in. And then they begin, I remember one woman who was a, a firefighter and an EMT, and she was totally burnt out. And she did the shaking and dancing, and she and she started she started first screaming and then singing, and she said, "I'm getting my voice back. I've lost my voice." So it's those are the those are the techniques that we begin with, and then there are many many others that we use to help people discover what is keeping them locked in trauma, and what are the avenues and the possibilities for transforming that trauma. The shaking and the dancing is of particular value to me. One, because I needed it. That was one of the things that really helped me. And two, because this is a Chinese medicine practice. So qi shaking has been used in, in qigong and, and in those practices for thousands of years. And it's one of the things that we learn while we're going to get our master's degree in acupuncture. It's part of our training, this qi shaking. And I remember thinking, frankly, that it was bullshit when I was about 21 <laughs> and in school, <laughs> right? And when I read, when I found it again in your work and read through some of the descriptions and some of the science behind it and some of my brain started to go, okay, but what if? Because I know that in this particular community, in the burnt out community, a lot of people are way too anxious to sit down and belly breathe. They can't even get to that part yet. Mm -hmm. So can we? Can you explain to people a little more in depth 
I know you just gave an overall view of the shaking and dancing, but can we like dig into it a little bit more? Sure. Well, first of all, I, I, I know, you know, I practice Chinese medicine as well. Yeah. And so I, I know that that's part of Chinese medicine or can be a part. And we in Chinese medicine, sometimes we do it deliberately. Sometimes it just comes as the energy starts to move. And I've certainly experienced that as a patient and seen it in my patients as well. So this is the, this is the body's natural way of dealing with certain kinds of overwhelming stress. And this is, um, this is a method that is uh, native to, to vertebrates in general. And you can see it if you have a, a dog who's been in a fight with another dog. After that fight, they sort of you pull the dog away on the leash, and the dog is going to shake. It's shaking off that that high level of of stress, of tension that's come about from that confrontation. So that's a, it's part of our, part of us biologically. Uh, um, Peter Levine has written a, ro- a lot about this, and and sees the shaking, and I, I think it's correct. Sees the shaking as a pathway from the sort of a, from the, the abyss of the freeze response deep in the midbrain, it brings us back up, up into the sort of the 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 the, uh, the, the emotional brain, and finally allows us to emerge into the cerebral cortex. It brings us up the evolutionary ladder and helps us let go of what's been chaining us down to the freeze response. Now the freeze response, I'm not putting it down. People need when the situation is overwhelming and inescapable as perhaps it has been for some of the people with whom whom you're talking about, where they've been in a situation, whether it's a situation with a relationship or a situation in work, and they feel they can't leave and they're stuck in the situation, the survival response, just as if they were stuck in a life-threatening physical situation, they're in a kind of life-threatening vocational and emotional situation. They can't get out of it. So they need to move up this sort of this kind of get this evolutionary freeing from the freeze response. The freeze response preserved them when they were a situation that felt overwhelming and inescapable. And as I said, I've worked with a lot of people in combat situations who've had to shut down because the situation, they couldn't do anything about life-threatening situations. But the same is true often if it's emotionally, it feels life-threatening. And so the shaking and dancing provides that kind of freedom. And there's a story I, I think I tell in Transforming Trauma about working with uh, nursing students in Haiti after the uh, after the earthquake. It's about 10 months after the earthquake. And earthquake was 2010. And these girls, they were 17, 18, 19-year-old girls, um, 90 of their classmates, whom they looked at as sisters, were killed in the earthquake. Uh, one of the dormitories collapsed. And about a hundred of these nursing students came to a workshop, and I talked about fight or flight and freeze, and did some, you know, taught them soft belly breathing. And then toward the end of the afternoon, I got them all up, and I put on this fast driving electronic music um, for them, and they began to shake. And within two or three minutes, half the girls were weeping. And we continued the shaking for about five or six minutes. More girls are crying. And we stopped for a couple of minutes and just relaxed. And the girls were crying. And and then I put on Bob Marley's Three Little Birds. And 
The girls are now crying, they're laughing, they're dancing. And we come to the end of Three Little Birds. And I say, as I always say, well, what was that like for you? And one of the girls got up and she said, well, ever since the earthquake and our sisters were killed, we have felt we had to be so responsible. We had to be so responsible for the younger children. We had to be so responsible and so serious for our parents and our grandparents who also lost friends and family that we, we never let ourselves cry. And it felt so good to cry. And then somebody else said, and because we've, we're nurses, we're supposed to be strong and take care of other people, we, we didn't, uh, and, and be serious all the time, we didn't laugh and we didn't dance. And, 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 and someone else said, yes, and this is the first time that we've been laughing and dancing in these 10 months and we're teenage girls and it felt, and we're teenage Haitian girls on top of that. And it felt so great. And then another one got up and she shook her finger at me and she said, and Jim, we love Bob, Bob Marley. But after all, we are Haitian girls and we have wonderful Haitian music too. <laughs> I laughed because she was back. She was yeah. being a teenage girl. She was giving me the business. <laughs> said, yeah, well, you give me some Haitian music from now on in Haiti. I use Haitian. I'll use that. So that's what can happen just with 15 minutes of that experience. For the vast majority of those girls, they were able to start to come back to themselves, to stop being, if you will, severely traumatized or in a sense burnt out too. Yeah, probably, probably a little bit of both. Pride fam, I tell you in nearly every episode that step one of your burnout recovery is blood work. And I know that a lot of you avoid it because it's a pain and because your doctor has told you that everything is quote unquote fine. And they refuse to test all the things that you think you need. What if I told you that you could test what you want, when you want, from your home with just a couple of drops of blood? Cyfox Health allows you to do just that. You can buy tests as one-offs or join a membership. Either way, you can test and track your results to help you make decisions about your burnout recovery journey. Get 10% off any membership, subscription, or one-time test kit right now. Go to scifoxhealth.com forward slash fried for your discount. That's S-I-P-H-O-X health.com forward slash fried. This is um, one of my favorite parts of going through this process is the stopping in between. The stopping in between the shaking and the dancing and mm -hmm. the noticing. Because there's, um, for me personally, I grew up as a gymnast. So I was taught to ignore almost all body signals all the time because you go through the pain and you get the perfect you know, position and you point your toe to this degree. And, and so I, I learned really early on to cut myself off. So shaking really brings everything to the surface. And then when you stop to me as, as an acupuncturist, I, I stopped and I thought, Oh my God, I can feel my chi. Like I can feel the energy mm. in my body. And that was such a, um, 
an amazing reconnection for me personally that wouldn't that can't happen in that couldn't happen in another way like it had to happen that way so it was um such a relief to know that i didn't have to stay disconnected great it's beautiful so that was really just really useful for Thank me you. what do you think you said that what do you think happens during the shaking i know you you explained about like you're kind of going up this evolutionary ladder but what do you think or do you know what the neurochemicals are like what what's happening then to us on a neurochemical level do we know that do we have I, studies on that I, I don't know okay i don't know that i haven't seen any papers specifically me either specifically on that i i would venture a guess i would bet that you know, there's more serotonin being released, yeah. or the, the activation of serotonin receptors. But I, but I don't know for sure. And I, at, at some point, it would be great if somebody would study it. Yeah, we know clinically that using it makes an enormous difference for people, and that for many people, it becomes the kind of go-to meditation. It is an expressive meditation, technically, yeah. which are the oldest kinds of meditation on the planet. And we know from our research that people who come through the whole program that I describe in Transforming Trauma, that 80% of the people who begin um, this program qualifying for the diagnosis of post-traumatic stress disorder no longer qualify after they've been through the program, and that the gains tend to hold for three, seven, ten months afterwards. So yeah. I, th I think it, it would be very interesting to find out what this one technique can do. But I, I want to sort of share with, with our listeners, our viewers, that it's really important to put together a comprehensive program and that this technique as foundational, as important as it can be, is not, for some people, it may be the whole story. But for most of us, for me, I use this all the time, but I also use all the other techniques that I describe in Transforming Trauma. Yeah, this is something we talk about a lot here, that there's a burnout recovery requires peeling an onion. And something that, especially when it comes to things like people who can't do deep belly breathing in the beginning because they can't bring themselves to sit or because it gives them panic to take deep breaths, that the shaking and the dancing, sometimes it gets them to a place where they can then use that next technique and that it's okay for your techniques to be evolving as you evolve through your process. And it's okay to go through needing different things at different times and there there's never going to be one solution it's it's it is pulling all those things together yeah, exactly and and at different times different yeah. techniques are most useful and we yeah. need to tune into that need to say okay this worked for a period of time and now i want to look at something else or i'm doing shaking and dancing every day but i'm facing a you know a, a, a life choice and that's where the imaginative techniques that we we teach, like guided imagery or written exercises or drawings, come in. Those are ways to access the unconscious and to find out much more detail about what what is the right path, what is what is it that we need to do at this moment. One of the other things that struck me as a thread throughout the book that was never discussed directly, but was obvious to me, was that. There is no judgment or morality attached to any of these processes or any of the prior experiences or any of the 
you you were able to write this in a way that eliminated all sense of judgment. It was just missing completely. Not missing. It wasn't there. I'm but for in in a good way. But this is something this um this judgment is something that a lot of people in this community get stuck in. They get stuck in the self-judgment and the judgment of they don't try things because they decide they don't work before they even give it a go. And do you have any advice on how to move away from being stuck in judgment? It's it's a great question. And, and I think that <laughs> I have several answers, one of which is use the techniques in the book. <laughs> have a, have yeah. a written dialogue with your judgment. Oh. Or ask your wise guide. Learn how to use guided imagery and ask that wise guide, which represents our unconscious or intuition or whatever you want to call it, that something beyond conscious thought to say, what do I do about judgment? Mm. And the other thing is when judgment arises, as inevitably it will, watch it, notice it, take some deep breaths, don't take it too seriously. Say, okay, you're here, I got, I hear you judging, all right, thank you. <laughs> so don't get caught up in it if you can. Don't get caught up in the whole, the whole approach is really uh, to help us come into that relaxed moment-to-moment awareness that, that is meditation. And in that state, when judgment arises, you let it come, you notice it, you're able to let it go. And as I said, if you can't let it go or difficulty letting it go, as we all have, at least in this society, Mm -hmm. um, use the imaginative techniques, you know, and so to have a dialogue between Jim and Jim's judgment and (laughs) go back and forth and see what, see what judgment has, has to say, um, and, and it's going to be, and judgment also, this is important too, judgment is often multi-layered itself. Mm. It may be your father's voice. Mm. It may be the voice of your teachers. It may be the voice of the society. It may be the, if you're a woman, it may be the voice of men. It may be the voice of, you know, wh- whoever it's the voice of. And so you need to see where it's coming from and and let it stay where it's coming from. <laughs> and let it stay there. And, you so- know, it's... um. Also pay attention to when you're judging others, mm. because it's so ingrained in in, in, in most of us. And, and uh, you know, Jesus put it nicely: "Judge not, that you be not judged." Yeah, it's, it's 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 a vicious circle, in which you're judging others, you're looking for their judgment. It just goes on and on and on, and it's what inhibits change, and it's what inhibits joy, because we're always and and certainly inhibits spontaneity. Yeah. Yes. Yes. To all of those things. It's a work. It requires work often the work of meditation, the work of the imagination, the work of awareness. But worth it because this is something I I think that um, I found myself when I was going through my burnout recovery that I, that when I entered self judgment, it was to preemptively judge myself so that I would know what other people could judge me for so that I wouldn't be surprised by anybody's judgment. <laughs> there was a lot of steps to that. And mm-hmm. and actually learning to move away from how I was judging other people was the most important part of untying this process for me because the the less I judged them the less I assumed they were judging me. Yeah, and th- and don't judge yourself for judging them. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> okay, I'm caught up in this. Yeah. <laughs> and laughter, as yeah. we're doing right now. And that I find I'm, I'm glad I'm glad it's happening because I find that that's enormously helpful. Yeah. When I catch myself doing something like judging or worrying about others' judgment, if I can, if the laughter comes as it often does now, spontaneously, uh, that helps to free me. That 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 unchange me from that experience. The last thing that I want to talk about is a little bit of a deviation, because a lot of people are either talking about like the mind-body connection, or they're talking about biology, and they're not doing a lot of kind of connection between the two. But you go through this whole program where there's these techniques, and some of them are body-based, and some of them are breathing, and some of them are meditative, and some of them are imaginative, and there's writing, and there's all of these things. And then you jump into, but if you're not supplemented properly and your body doesn't have the right nutrition, things are going to go sideways. So this I loved because it's so balanced. What do you think if you, the burnt out population is clearly long-term chronic stress, right? That's how we get, that's how we get to this burnt out place. If there was one or two things that you could say, get this tested or make sure you're doing this, what, what would those things, what might those things be? It's, it's a, it's a, a complex and of course. subject. And I, the longest chapter in my book yeah. is on the trauma healing yeah. because because of the complexity of yes. it. Uh, and so I, I, I don't I don't want to oversimplify, but the, the most important thing is to eat mindfully, mm. to learn that. And so so I teach mindful eating, and many people are beginning to pay attention to mindful eating because the more mindful we are about what we eat the more likely we are to be eating foods that are good for us and so it takes it takes some practice it may take an elimination diet it may take a fast i just did a fast for 7 days mm-hmm. partly because i had a lot of uh, inflammation i partly tore an achilles tendon well, let me let me just clean out the body right. and i notice now how exquisitely sensitive I am to what I should eat and what I shouldn't eat. So let me say that to begin with. And also for people who eat compulsively, um, it's so it just changes the whole the the, the whole um, not only what we consume, but how we consume it, how we prepare it, uh, how we enjoy it. So that's that's really crucial. Uh, and I teach a couple. I teach mindful eating, and I teach do an exercise with our uh, drawing exercise with our relationship to food; those are ve- those are fundamental. Um, I think that you know it, it's it's at, at base it's not too complicated. Um, I think Michael Pollan said, "Eat whole foods, not <laughs> not mostly <too> vegetables." <laughs> not right, and mostly vegetable, not too much. That's 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 fine for most of us, although. There are some people who need, for example, need to eat more meat, need to eat much more protein. You have to you have to experiment. So the experimental attitude is one that I encourage in bringing to food. But but the more we eat whole foods, the less processed food we eat, the better. I mean, the, the diet that we eat is totally at variance with our um, with our evolutionary 
with our evolutionary, the DNA that we have from evolution. Our DNA is the same as the hunter-gatherer's DNA. And so the more we can eat a diet that, without being rigid or dogmatic about it, that's in tune with that DNA, the better. Supplementation is important. Um, we, you know, we don't live in the hunter-gatherer's world. We live in a world with a, an, an enormous stress, uh, pollutants everywhere, uh, you know, all kind you know, hours that don't correspond to the diurnal rhythms that you as an acupuncturist very well know. That we, we, that, so um, most of us need supplementation. There's some interesting studies that were done um, in uh, New Zealand after an earthquake there. And controlled studies, randomized controlled trials uh, of people who are traumatized by the earthquake, giving a multivitamin, multimineral to one group and none to the other, a placebo to the other. The people who got the multivitamin, multimineral did better. They had fewer symptoms, they slept better, less anxiety, less depression. So I think that's pretty fair for just about anybody living in this society. Supplementation with omega-3s. Our ancestors ate a much more a diet that whether they ate a lot of fish or they simply ate plants or they ate meat, they ate a diet that was much richer in omega-3s and the balance between omega-3s and the omega-6s, the fatty acids, was, was, you know, was a healthy one. It was a natural one, if you will. Now we're way out of balance. We have too much omega-6s, which are pro-inflammatory, meaning they cause inflammation. And most of us don't have enough omega-3s. So moving in the direction of supplementation with omega-3s, eating more fish, for example, as a eating more fiber. Yeah. That's crucial as well. Yeah. And for most people, I do a smoothie every morning. I have a couple tablespoons of chia seeds or flax seeds so that I'm getting the fiber. Our, you know, our, our, our bowels are impoverished in the Western world compared to people in indigenous societies yeah. because they're eating so much more fiber. And we need that. And that fiber enhances the, the, the bacteria, the good bacteria in our gut, which in turn, it now looks like, according to the latest research, affect the vagus nerve. The vagus nerve returns to the brain and prompts the regeneration of brains that have been traumatized, whether it's by burnout or any for any other reason. So a lot mm. of fiber is really important. So th those are those are basic things. And then I go into a lot of a lot of others, uh, a lot of others. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot in the book to go through. Uh, it. It's, I appreciated those. it. You're a long way down the line. The other thing that I want to say that is is important is that if you've been under chronic stress, You've been working in a job that's driving you crazy for months or years, that you may have uh, you may have developed a leaky gut. Yeah. That your small intestine, uh, instead of the in, in having an integrity in the cells and in the inner wall of the small intestine, those cells tend to separate, and proteins that should not be in our bloodstream, including most often gluten, go into the bloodstream and they cause inflammatory reactions in other parts of our body. So we need to eat a diet, perhaps for a period of time, that doesn't contain gluten, as well as not containing uh, not containing all the preservatives and additives, which are which are toxic to the to the gut, so that we give our gut a chance to heal. 
And also we need to be doing uh, so, slow deep breathing or shaking and dancing or other forms of Tai Chi, other forms of meditation to bring ourselves back into balance. So it all goes together. The, the trauma yeah. healing diet is important. Um, and again, it, when you're doing doing the diet, don't be judgmental. If you <laughs> if you if you have a you know a half a pint of Ben and Jerry's, enjoy it, and then you know don't do and it tomorrow. On. But right. don't drive yourself crazy about it. Yeah. So you know, begin the diet, see what happens, see what the changes are, and but make it a part of a comprehensive program. Yeah. And the at the towards the end of the book. Um, a lot of my listeners will probably roll their eyes here because you said something that I tell them all the time. And I I wanted to just, just point it out a little bit as we come to, toward the end. You say that listening and responding to the body, that creating, coming to this place with like this experiential um, and experimental mind and sort of playing with it and experimenting and listening and responding and listening and responding and creating this relationship with your body that in you write these, these words that the, it may seem hopelessly primitive. The thing is, it works. For so many people in this community, they are high achievers, they are highly educated, they hold high positions, and everything in their life has been difficult to achieve and hard to do. And a lot of what you're saying here is like, go back to the basics. So if if somebody is listening and they're like, oh, I wish I could, but they're still in the back of their minds, wanting it to be more difficult almost to recover because that would it would mean more when they accomplished it. How can we encourage them to well, get to that, prim allow the primitive to, to work? First of all, it's not so easy to be easy and relaxed. Yes. And so <laughs> somehow, don't worry, there's going to be effort required <laughs> for those of us living in this society. Um you know, we 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 all have our our issues and our problems and our challenges. This is not so issue so easy. Um, the the other thing is that that mind, which can be so useful, needs to be a tool. It shouldn't be it shouldn't be running us. Mm -hmm. um, my ex wife occasionally would say to me, "You know, I'm I'm not so sure how." how good that Harvard education was for you. <laughs> and she said, you know, you ought to make your sentences a little simpler. And and I, I got it. After a while, I said, yeah, you're right. You're right. It, it, I need to use it where it's useful, where it's good for looking at scientific literature, for being critical, for, um, you know, for analyzing a situation. But it should not rule me. It's a tool. And, and I need to be that beautiful state of relaxed moment-to-moment -moment awareness where I can use that rational mind and I can use the intuition and I can uh, listen to that voice inside that says, now it's time to go out for a walk and look at the trees. <laughs> I can listen to that voice. So we need to, you know, what is that, the Shaker song, tis a gift to be simple, tis a gift mm -hmm. to be three. Mm -hmm. And it is a gift and Sometimes we have to, the shaking and dancing will help us get out of that fixed, rational, often dogmatic mind and be open to new possibilities. The, the, um, there's a wonderful book called Zen Mind, Beginner's, Beginner's mind. mind. I know yeah. you probably know it yes. by Suzuki Roshi. And, and, and the statement is that in the expert's mind, there are a few possibilities. In the beginner's mind, everything is possible.
So the expert, you know, if you want your car to be fixed by an expert and you want the expert to do the surgery on you, but that you don't want to bring that mind into your relationship with your children or your lover or your best friends. You want to bring a different mind, a mind of openness and affection and uh, experimentation into those relationships. I think that that's a wonderful place to start wrapping up our conversation is there are there any parting words that you have for our listeners for our very burnt out very tired listeners oh take a nap (laughs) (laughs) listen to your body if your body is saying go to sleep go to sleep pay attention tune in uh really it's the the other night i was very tired i thought no i shouldn't i should wait to Go to at least 10 o'clock to go to sleep. I said, come on. You know, otherwise, I'll get up at 5. No. I went to sleep at 8 o'clock. I slept 10 hours. I needed <laughs> to sleep that time. So pay attention. Pay attention to what's going on. The other thing I wanted to say to, to people who are listening or viewing us is that if they're interested in the Center for Mind-Body Medicine's work, if they're interested in using the program that I teach in transforming trauma, in in more depth, and especially if they're interested in sharing it with other people, come to our training program. We have a training program coming up uh, the end of February. It's an online training, so anybody anywhere can join the training, and there'll be probably 150 other people. Many of them, most are clinicians, but others are people who want to share what they're learning with other people in their communities. You don't have to be a health professional. And Take a look at what we're doing. Look on the website. Look at the tech, cmbm.org. Take a look at the techniques, the techniques I teach in transforming trauma. You can see me demonstrating some of them on, online. And uh, if you're interested, get on our mailing list. Be a part of our of our healing community and our community of healers, both people with those healing healers degrees and people who don't have them, but have that, but have that um, that spirit within themselves that wants to help and heal others. And helping and healing others begins with us, begins with using this this approach, this method for ourselves. Fried fam, you know that I am already a huge fan. So if you have the opportunity to take advantage of one of these classes, learn these techniques, use it for yourself, help other people with it. I mean, if, if you have any inkling that this is something that you'd like to do, please just go do it now. as quickly as possible. And don't forget to pick up the book, Transforming Trauma, The Path to Hope and Healing. We do recommend it a lot. It's in a lot of our show notes, but I'm, I'm really honored that we had the opportunity to have this conversation with Dr. Gordon and really dive into some of the topics a little bit deeper and give all of you the opportunity to hear that we can go through this process and take it a little less seriously and have a little more lightheartedness about it and get through it with grace and effort and moments that suck. But we can get through it. Dr. Gordon, thank you so much for coming on. I'm so, so grateful. Thank you so much, kid. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Ain't gonna burn ourselves out no more. Ain't gonna burn ourselves out no more Got each other on our side Plus all the folks at Fried The Burnout Podcast With Kate Donovan